Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome back to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. As always, business out of the way first, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast, but... If you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots In. It's been a busy week. I had three interviews this week, so I definitely got some great stuff coming up. I know a few weeks ago, a lot of people saw me going back and forth with a former NHL player on Twitter, and people were commenting and were excited that he was going to come on. I got some great news. We just conducted that interview. Probably release that in two weeks. If you don't know who it is, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. It's a good one. This guy made it to the Stanley Cup Finals twice and is very well known and uh, was a pretty tough guy back in his day. In fact, I'd say he's one of the toughest. So I think everybody will really enjoy that. And it's also on a team that I've had a lot of requests for. With all the interviews, unfortunately, I've been incredibly busy and as a result, haven't been able to watch a lot of hockey. And I know the past few weeks, my intros have been kind of blah. They've been a little boring. I haven't really said much. So I want to do something a little creative, a little different for this intro. Of course, we do have the interview with Andy Sutton coming up, and we'll talk more about the second half of that interview where we talk about the first year of the Minnesota Wild. But I, with the NHL trade deadline coming up, I thought it'd be kind of fun if we looked at some trades that took place back in 1999, 20 years ago at the NHL trade deadline, and, and maybe we'd bring up some names from the past. So I went ahead and pulled all the trades, and it definitely was a busy trade deadline. There were over 20 deals on deadline day. And then before deadline day, there were three or four deals. So overall, there was about 24 to 25 deals done in like a three-day span. I feel like you don't see that that much anymore. And there were some big names that moved. I think the biggest name that caught my eye was Chris Chelios. He was traded at the 1999 trade deadline to Detroit by Chicago for Anders Ericsson and first-round choices in the 99 and 2001 entry drafts. Thought that was pretty fascinating. Dale Hunter, after playing for the Washington Capitals for years, was shipped out. He was sent to the Colorado Avalanche to try to get one shot, I guess, at a Stanley Cup. Some other big deals that were done as well. Some big players that were moved. Vinny Damfus. He was moved to the San Jose Sharks by Montreal for Phoenix's fifth round choice in the 1999 entry draft and a second round choice in the 2000 entry draft. Also, Nelson Emerson was traded by Ottawa to Chicago for Chris Murray. Steve Duchesne traded to Philadelphia by Los Angeles for Dave Babich and a first and a fifth round pick, excuse me. So some definite moves were taking place. Also saw a lot of cash deals. Thought that was interesting. Craig Berube was traded to Philadelphia by Washington for cash. Uh, Jean-Francis Jonf traded to Montreal by Phoenix for cash. So lots of deals took place, and I just thought it would be fun to kind of bring up some of those names from the past. And I feel like trade deadline day has really, really changed with the salary cap. You don't see the big superstars moving unless it's specifically a rent a player or somebody that's unsigned and the team knows they're not going to be able to re-sign them. So that's what happened 20 years ago on trade deadline day. I'm excited to see what's going to happen this upcoming year. It's always fun to find out where guys go, see new players in new sweaters, or who's staying. It's just one of those times where it's kind of fun to turn on the TV or follow along on the internet. So I will be doing that come February 25th on the NHL trade deadline. I pulled all these stats from these yearbooks that were put out by the NHL. It was the official edition of the NHL yearbook. It was done by Faceoff, and I was able to pull this in the 2000 NHL yearbook, Wayne 
Wayne Gretzky was on the cover. Of course, Wayne's final game was in 1999, which is hard to believe was 20 years ago, but it was. And if you're an old school hockey fan, I highly recommend these. I still remember buying them off newsstands back in the day, and I don't know if they still sell them. I know in the mid 2000s they did, but they were so watered down and they were just a shell of what the original books were. The original ones were loaded with stats and pictures, review of the prior year, all the trades that took place over the year, a lot of the signings, really great stuff. Don't get me wrong. The Internet's awesome. I wouldn't be publishing this if it wasn't for the Internet. But I miss those days of being able to go to the newsstand where you pick up a magazine, especially when you're a kid. I remember bringing these to school with me. And it's funny, all these years later, I still have the original ones and they are beaten to hell. They look like they went to school with me. That's for sure. Anyways, Andy Sutton is back for part two of his interview today. I want to thank Andy again for coming on. Really, really enjoyed talking to him. He gives some great insight in this interview, especially about being a player and a, and a bigger player in the NHL. And he also talks about having to transition from defense to forward and he does a great Jacques Lemaire impression at the end I think everybody will enjoy and I really enjoyed his also his opinion on Jacques Lemaire Jacques sounds like a great guy he is definitely a hockey legend and Andy talks a little bit about that in the podcast so here we go here's part two of our interview with Andy Sutton At this point in the season, the Wild had the ninth-ranked goals against total in the league, which is historically exceptional for an expansion team. I know Vegas kind of rocked everything last year. But what do you think led to the team's success on defense? Why were you guys able to keep the puck out of the net so much? Well, we had, you know, and, and obviously Jacques is Jacques is a, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And, um, you know, he, he coached us well. And on top of that, I think, like I said, the – the fact that we really did play together and we had a lot of players with a lot to prove, right? We're all fight, fighting pretty hard to try to make names for ourselves or, or stay in the league or whatever, whatever the reasons are. But we, we kind of did it in a very connected fashion. So I think that, I think that translated and then, you know, to have, have great young goaltenders that, that, um, you know, again, also had something to prove were, you know, standing in behind us and making the key save was, kind of the you know the last stop so we were we were coached well and then we we all really bought bought into what was what we were trying to do you mentioned Jacques Lemaire and I have to ask you know what was your relationship like with the Hall of Famer I mean he's done so much in hockey from winning Stanley Cups as a coach to playing in the league how did you get along with Jacques Lemaire Jacques is Jacques is one of the most wonderful people you could ever meet he really is and then and on top of that I mean he's so he's so knowledgeable and you also you look up to him because he's just, I mean, he's, he's Jacques Lemaire. I mean, it's just right. like, it was unbelievable having him as a coach. And I wish, that's one thing that I wish I, I wish I could have extracted more from that, from him, you know, most, most specifically. He's just, he just had, he just had so much to offer, you know, and he, and he was generous with it. You know, he, he, he coached, he really coached us and he coached us in a very, in a very uh, proactive way, he he had he had great uh, you know great player management skills, and he was good at getting what he wanted out of guys. And, and he's he was an he was an incredible coach. We we were all really lucky to have him. Jacques Lemaire comes up with another coaching idea as the year comes to an end. He comes up with this crazy idea and this new offensive secret. He tells you to go get in front of the net on the power play, and it works. You score. What was your? We touched on this a little bit, and I know playing forward wasn't your favorite thing, but. When he first comes to you and says, "Hey, I want you to get in front of the net," what's your initial reaction to playing forward? I mean, I, of course, I'm going to say yes. I'm fighting for a place in the team, and he's, he wants to put me on the power play. I mean, you, you, you don't ever say no to that, you know. So you, you go in, and then you know that ended up becoming the thing because I did have success, and I mean, I could really, 
at that time, you know, for my size, I could really, I could really skate well, and I could, you know, definitely get from A to B very quickly. And and I think I was a good, you know, good body checker, and I could create a lot of turnovers. So I mean, I I think I could could bring certain things to the table that that were helpful on a on a power play, and then to be in front and be a big presence. And I always had. I always had good hands, you know. I, I did, and and I was able to to show that a lot in practice, which is where the coaches sort of, you know, they're like, "Wow, he actually has good hands." So, you know, I think it, it was kind of a natural fit at that time, and um, and I'm thankful for it. But it ended up becoming the thing that I think made him think, "Oh, this guy should be a forward," you know. And I I really just did feel like for a for a long career that I needed to be a defenseman. So, you know, that was that was kind of where uh, things started to change for me there. We've talked about your size a little bit. And when I think of you playing from when I watched you, and don't get me wrong, you're six foot six, you were an animal. I think you were like 240, 250. But I never really thought of you as a fighter. I've always thought of you as a big defenseman who was able to use his size really well. And and not everybody that was six foot six in the National Hockey League could use their size like you could. How would you use your size to your advantage? I think with coming up and and fighting a lot early on, I I bought myself some space because I think people, people that you know, that they, there was always that question, I guess, whether or not I, I would be doing doing that or not. So I think people like, bought me some space, and then I think you know, being able to get in the way, like I told, I would tell people more towards the end of my career, like I get paid a lot of money to get in the way, <laughs> and, I, and I did. I got paid a lot of money to get in the way, and that, whether that was get in the way of people or get in the way of pucks, I sort of you know really blocking more shots than most players and took a lot of pride in that as, as something that I did. And, you know, it, it really changed the game, you know, like defensemen like myself and Brennan Witt, other guys that really started to block a lot of shots really changed the face of hockey, you know, and everybody's a shot blocker now, probably mostly because of, of that, you know, so like everything, it's a, it's an evolution. You're trying to, you're trying to, you know, carve out a niche for yourself and, make yourself valuable for different reasons. So that's the way I always thought of it. Always looking up for, you know, given the, the given the situation around me, how, how, what could I do to, to make myself valuable? You know, so I, they could, so they keep having to resign me, you know, it's no different than corporate America or, or in a relationship or anything else. You know, you're always looking, hopefully you're always looking for ways to improve. See, they come here seeing hockey stories. They're getting marriage advice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's all the same in the end. You mentioned your skills. One thing, when people YouTube your name or when they look you up, one thing that I think people always initially see is how good of a body checker you were. It wasn't just your size. It was your timing as well. Where did you learn to hit and, and, and how did you incorporate that in part of your game? Because, I mean, if you throw a hit and miss for someone like you, you're out of position. That's not good. How did yeah. you get that down to a science like that? No, mostly trial and error. You know, I really, I really started to love the body check towards the end of my college career, and then, you know, I was fortunate enough to play with a lot, fortunate to play with a lot of really great players coming into San Jose. But I, I got to watch Brian Marchman, um, you know, and actually got to play play with him some games as well. So and got to see the way that that he would he would catch guys in the neutral zone, and you know, and and I like I said, I was a good, especially straight forward skater. I was really fast you know, early in my career and uh, it could close those gaps quickly. So I thought, geez, I can, I can do this. So I started pl playing around and I definitely had my share of misses along the way, but also had years where I, where I never missed, you know, so it kind of, it was, it was always something I was trying to figure out, you know, and, and um, try and optimize it, you know, and in the end it ended up being to my, to my detriment, you know, I started getting suspended a lot when they changed a lot of the rules when, when Shanahan came in and, you know, so it's like everything you got to, you've got to, you've got to adapt. The new year kicks off, and on January 3rd, the Wild tangle with the Atlanta Thrashers. 
you're involved physically and scrapped with Denny Lambert. From my research, it looks like Hendrickson and Lambert got into it and you kind of stepped in. You're a big guy and, and you you said, hey, look, I had to, that you thought was your way in the league was to be a fighter. But did you feel pressure to fight? Did you feel like this is what you had to do? Yeah, you know, I, back then, if you were if you were big and especially if you were big and you were physical or trying to be physical, you had to you had to stand up for at, at a minimum style of play you were you were trying to trying to have. And then on top of that, you were expected to stick up for your teammates. So, you know, between those two things, you you could you end up finding finding yourself fighting a lot. And I I didn't look forward to it. I mean, it's not something I I loved when I was during the fight. Like I liked it. I hated I hated the lead up to it. Like if I knew. I was going to have to fight, you know, because of something, or if I was if I was worried that somebody was was going to be probably be coming after me. I mean, I I definitely be be thinking about it. And I didn't I didn't love that the way that that felt. Um, I'm sure a lot of guys were that way, but I, um, you know, so when I you know when I got to Atlanta finally and started playing a lot of minutes, and I didn't really have to fight anybody anymore, but I could still play physically. You know, that that was kind of the, the place where I probably really enjoyed playing the most because I just play hard and. You know, you're playing 30 minutes a night. You don't, you don't typically play against the, the fourth line, which is where most of the fighters were back then, anyways. So you kind of uh, put yourself in a, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in an elite group of, of players that could play a certain way and and uh, and not have to fight as much. Oh my God, those guys! If you can get them when they can play and then they can hit, but they don't fight, that's the best thing you yeah. can have in the NHL. I mean, they're few and it far really between. Is. It really is. Every team wants that guy. I mean, you look at the Rick Tockets, you look at even the Jeremy Roenicks, and I know he was, I mean, I mean, both those guys could play physical, but they could also score, yeah. and, and you can only get so many of those. For sure. During this 2000-2001 campaign, it kind of goes along what you were saying. You had more fighting majors than you had pretty much the rest of your career. We talked about that, that there was pressure that you put on yourself. Did anybody put pressure on you, though, did anyone say anything to you? And, and you don't have to name drop. I, I just am kind of curious if that ever came across in conversation. I mean, for for me, uh, same way I'm in my life now. It doesn't change. Like you, you either know what you're supposed to do or you, or you don't, don't, and you either you either have those instincts or you don't, and you either try to have that integrity or you or, or you either have that integrity or you don't. You know, to, to to do that. So for me, it was it was probably pressure I just put on myself mostly. Um, and then you know, I don't I don't know if if the team wanted it, offer it, but it was just, it was for me, I just couldn't, couldn't turn away from. Speaking of size, and then we'll kind of move off the fighting a little bit. You're not even the tallest guy on this team, which blew my mind. Six foot eight, Steve McKenna was, can you tell me a little bit about Steve McKenna? Steve was, uh, he was a great, you know, a great player for how big he was too. You know, he's another guy that kind of got typecast and, and, you know, put in a very specific type of role just literally because of his size. I mean, he was, he was a college, Steve was a college guy too, as far as I remember. And, um, you know, smart, smart guy, you know, really kind guy, funny guy. Most of the tough guys are, I mean, it's, it's kind of, kind of crazy really when, once you take a look at it, most of the guys are like the sweetest guys ever, but, um, you know, it's, Steve, Steve was no different. And, and, uh, we, we became good, really good friends that year as well. You know, he's, he's another guy that was a real natural leader and, you know, he's really, he was really beloved on the team. It's absolutely right what you say. Some of the most insightful interviews I've had have been with the tough guys. Yeah. Most of them incredibly well-spoken. And, and you know, you really you, you see them on the ice and they're tough. But, man, off the ice, these guys all have a soft side. All of them. When you, when you, do, when you do that, when you have to do that, I mean, you have to, 
you have to access a special place in yourself, you know, to, to understand how to do that. And you, and you live by a, a certain type of code that most people probably don't understand. And I'm not even sure it makes that much sense myself. But, <laughs> um, you, you, you're in, you're in an elite group and there's, you know, and there's perspective in your experience because it's like, it's stuff that most people that can't ima- even imagine how it would feel to drop your gloves and bare knuckle fight somebody in front of, you know, 20,000 people and then another, you know, how, however many million are in behind watching it on TV. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy deal. I mean, it's like, uh, it, it's, it's absolutely barbaric and archaic, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's unbelievable that it's, that it's, you know, a part of our game, you know. At the halfway mark in the season, the Wild are 13, 18, 8, and 2, which is not necessarily a great record, but from all things considered, it's really not bad either. Halfway through the year, did you receive any kind of feedback on your first half of the season, maybe from GM Doug Riseborough or, or anybody really? I think for the most part, they were pretty pleased with what we were doing. You know, I don't think there were a lot of expectations, and I think with the group that we had, you know, um, I, I think we... I think we, as much as everybody wanted to win more, I think we, I think we've even maybe surpassed expectation for the first year or two. And, and, um, so I think, I think, I think everybody was pretty happy and pleased with the progress, you know, at the same time, they were all came from very winning environments and that definitely winning was, you know, was at the forefront. So, you know, we were never settling, but at the same time, they weren't, they weren't, you know, they were pushing at an appropriate rate. You know, it was like it was uh, it was all very it all felt very respectful. At this point, you're now halfway through really what's your first full NHL season in the league. Are you living on cloud nine? Is this just one of the funnest times in your life? You, you know, you'd think, right? But yeah. For, for, me, for me, it was always I always wanted more. Like I always wanted to get to where. I inevitably got to in in Atlanta, you know, um, and even other places the year, you know, even the year I played, even the year I played the last year I played in New York and went to, you know, I ended up getting traded to traded to uh, New York. Um, I'm sorry, to Ottawa at the, at the trade deadline, you know, that, that year was, was great too. And then when you're really in charge of your game and you're, you're really needed on the team. I mean, that, that's the thing I always really wanted to be, have that role where I was, you know, uh, you know, important. And, and so that's what I was always fighting towards. And I, you know, as much as that year was fun, I didn't feel like I had a handle on my game to the extent that I was necessarily the player that I saw myself wanting to be. So you're kind of you're kind of always working hard to get there. You know, I really respect that. That's you know, it's it's kind of like, yeah, I'm here, but this isn't where I want to finish. I, I got more left in the tank in early February. The Wild finish off a six game road trip down in Dallas and you beat the Dallas Stars 2-1. Sergei Krivokrasov sprained his ankle and Scott Pellerin assisted on both goals. This brings the Wilds road record to eight and 25 at home. You guys were fantastic, but on the road, you guys really struggled. Why do you think that was? Why do you think that, that the team had so much difficult during the road? Jacques's a great coach and at home, you're able to get the last change and get the matchups you want. And on the road, you know, and we weren't, we weren't as deep as, as many, most of the teams in the league. So I think on the road, we could get it. We could get a little more exposed because they could put whatever line they wanted out against whatever personnel were on the ice. So it's probably as simple as that. I mentioned Kriva Krasov a few minutes ago, and he had an unbelievably good year in Nashville, but was really never able to regain that success. I know he had a lot of injuries. Do you have any memories of playing with him or, or sharing a locker room with the, the Hawks' former first rounder? Sergey was a great guy. Yeah, he had so much skill. I mean, it's been, it's been a long time now, but he, uh, I remember him being really, really skilled and, 
and just just loving watching what he could do, what he could do out there. Speaking of loving watching what you could do, Marion Gabrick scored his 14th goal of the season on a really nice breakaway. Let's talk about his skill. You practiced against him. How do you stop Marion Gabrick for God's sakes? Honestly, he, he was uh, he was like nothing I think any of us had ever seen before at the time, and and he um, he could do things that were so special. He was so fast and so quick. He, you you literally couldn't even believe it. You know he, um, he 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 was just he was just incredible talent, and you could just you could just tell that he was going to be be the next you know whatever. So he was um, it was pretty incredible to be able to to be with him early in his career. In mid-February, the Wilder matched up against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who at the time were the talk of the NHL. The hockey world had been rocked when NHL legend and team owner Mario Lemieux announced he was returning to play again. This was Lemieux's first trip back to the Twin Cities. The Wilder able to pick up a huge home victory with a 4-2 win, and what had to make the win even sweeter was the fact that the team managed to keep Mario off the scoreboard completely. This was the only the second time in his 19-game comeback that he was held scoreless and finished the game as a minus three. Andy, you're an NHL defenseman, and I don't know if you were playing forward or defense in this game, but come on, how do you stop Mario Lemieux? How, how do you guys keep him off the board? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was just a collective effort, you know, and being at home, we were obviously all very excited, and, you know, getting a chance to play against a, a living legend like that is uh, is something that, that I, you know, can't even really describe. It was uh, it was it was really incredible, you know. So I don't know. Probably just that we probably got up a lot higher than they did for the, for a game in March, you know. Well, after the game, Mario was pretty vocal. He, along with Kevin Stevens, claimed that there weren't fans of the Wilds clutching and grabbing during the game. Mario was quoted in the Star Tribune as saying, "There were times I was very restricted. That's not what we're trying to sell." In the Tuesday issue of the Star Tribune, Coach Jacques Lemaire responded with some verbal jabs at both Stevens and Lemieux, my favorite being this quote, maybe I'll come out of retirement if no one is allowed to check or play defense. He would go on to suggest that the Penguins were upset because the Wild were so physical against them. Andy, you played in this game, and I know you were quoted in the papers a little bit as well. What was your thoughts on the Pittsburgh Penguins kind of coming at you guys after losing like that? Yeah, I mean... That's just also temporary. I mean, unless it's like the playoffs or something like that, you're kind of just you're already you know on to the next game or whatever. So, I, I never really I never really took too much of that stuff to heart when I played. You know, it kind of didn't didn't really uh, have much sustainability. Fair enough. I mean, the following game was back in Pittsburgh, despite a goal by Scott Pellerin. Mario Lemieux scored two goals, and the team won two to one. But around this time, there's a lot of trade talks surrounding a few of the veterans on the team. Sean O'Donnell's name specifically comes up at several times. In the NHL, is it a, a distraction for a player when their name is out there? And I know people say they don't read the papers, but when you start to see it time and time again, does that start to distract you or get on you at all a little bit? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's it's distracting. You know, it's 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 part of it's part of our it's part of our game. It's part of what we it's part of what we deal with. But I think, um, you know, I, I think it's I think it, you do your best to try to put it out of your mind. But I mean, it's, it's definitely there. I mean, that's your life. I mean, it's your that's where your family lives. Maybe where your kids go to school. It's it's hard to. It's hard to completely put it out of your mind, no matter how hard you try. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm worried where I'm going to be living in a month, I don't know if I'm going to be to be able to pinch on that play. I, I think my mind would just be elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you. One thing you learn doing that for a living is you've got to you've got to keep your thoughts clean and and pure. Otherwise, your performance your performance suffers. March 2nd, GM Doug Risebro decides to shake up the roster. 
and plan for the future a bit. He does end up trading Scott Peller into the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Sean O'Donnell was eventually traded. And another veteran that we haven't really talked much about, Curtis, well, we did talk about Curtis Lecision, was traded as well. When your three most experienced players on the team are, are, are shipped off, what does that do to the locker room? I, th- I think we all knew that was coming. I think those guys got there, uh, you know, because they were on last year of their deal. And yep. I think everybody knew that they were likely to get traded at the deadline, and they they were probably, you know, and looking to get traded at the deadline too, because they were guys that were, you know, I think all in their in their thirties and probably looking for a way to have a crack at winning the Stanley Cup. So I mean, it it takes it up, but you know, it leaves it leaves voids in the room and room for guys to guys to step up. You know, I think that's that's right around the time that Willie Mitchell started playing a lot of minutes, yep. and he you know, ended up having obviously an amazing career and. Um, a few other guys. So it was, um, you know, it's always, it's always somebody's opportunity, you know? Speaking of new guys that come in and have an opportunity, one of them was Pascal Dupuis, who said he was shaking during the first few minutes of his game. And he debuted with three games left in the season. What can you tell me about Pascal Dupuis as a rookie? Pascal, uh, he was one of the great guys too. That I loved, loved being with. He was such a, such a great guy, but he, uh, he came in and, and really, uh, you know, Took to that place, and I and I think uh, he had a great rapport with Jacques, and he was a very trustworthy two-way player, and uh, you know had a lot of speed and a great shot down the wing, and I think he really just kind of you know came into his own there. Unfortunately, the Wild did not have the best of luck as we kind of wrap up the season. Towards the end of the season, you end up playing the San Jose Sharks, and unfortunately, this would be the 11th loss in a row for the team. Yet the team is credited for their continued hard work. After the game, Jacques Lemaire said in the Star Tribune, these guys keep working. I'm proud of that. But at the same time, it would be nice to get some points too, you know? The team had lost 11 games. It's the end of the season. How do you stay motivated? You're always fighting for something, you know? And, like, everyone's fighting for another contract or fighting to make more money or fighting to, you know, stay in the league or be tradable or whatever it is. You're always always fighting for something. So, you know, it's probably just mostly a pumpkin of that, you know, doing the best you can and, you know, just trying to, that's the great thing about our sport. You know, you, you can win, lose or, or otherwise. And, 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 um, you know, you put, you probably playing in a day or two. So you gotta, you kind of, kind of keep it all in front of you. We didn't touch on this before, but you played the San Jose Sharks throughout the season a few times. How was it for you returning to San Jose, the team that you had signed with out of college now as a member of the Minnesota wild, any emotions there? Yeah, I mean, I, I was always kind of extra fired up playing against former teams, and that that probably all went all the way to the end. You know, it doesn't get until you're two or three teams removed that you you kind of lose the fire for those. You're you're always kind of connected to the teams you played against most recently. With just two games left in the season, the Wild snapped their 12 game losing streak with goals from Darby Hendrickson and Wes Walls. After going losing 12 games in a row, it's got to be a load off that you guys finally get a win. You also scrapped with Jean Luc Pierre during this final game of the season. And the season ended on April 8th with a loss against the team that would go on to win the Stanley Cup, the Colorado Avalanche. Overall, though, this was a pretty successful inaugural season for the Minnesota Wild. You've now gone from a NHL sometime or to an NHL regular. What were your thoughts after this final season? I blew my shoulder out <laughs> in that fight and uh, ended up having to have, hadn't having to have shoulder surgery, I think a couple of days later or something. So it was, uh, you probably weren't thinking much about hockey then at that point. Yeah. I mean, I I was, I mean, I was right up to the end, you know, I was fighting to try to try to make a better future, you know, and try to stay in the, in the league and, you know, make more money, have a more successful career. So it's like, for me, it was always that, you know, it was always pushing towards trying to just trying to 
be better or stay longer or uh, you know whatever whatever it was needed. Andy, is there anything that sticks out in your mind that that you know nothing bad but kind of clean that maybe gives you a good laugh from your time in Minnesota? Well, I remember I remember uh, Jacques Lemaire telling Marion Hosis, uh, sorry Marion Hosis, I said um, Marion Gabrick something very uh, very poignant, but also did it with such humor. At the time, you know, Marion being so fast, I mean, so quick and, and in such a hurry, you know, he wanted to use that speed and showcase it at every opportunity. And I think Jacques, Jacques uh, helped Marion become one of the great two-way players and helped him preserve that speed for when it was necessary. But I remember him telling Marion that, you know, he's showing him something on the video and telling him that he's like, uh, Marion, you don't have to go here. He's like, you stay over here, you grab a cup of coffee, you, uh, you, you, know, you protect your wall and you just... The play to come here, so he was like, you know, just telling them to chill out and relax and have a cup of coffee, you know, and just like wait for the play to come to him. So it's kind of, you know, it really was stuff like that that I think made Jacques such a great, such a great coach. He had such a nice way of conveying things to people. You gave me a Jacques Lemaire impression. We just talked about Bob Hartley, and we've had like three of Bob Hartley impressions on the last few episodes. Do you have a Bob Hartley impression? Oh man, I probably do. You know. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. I can't think of it right now. But he he had Bob was uh, Bob was great, and he and I had a great relationship. But he had he had some Bobisms that uh, that he that he'd always say. I I just can't think of them right now. But he 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 definitely had some things that were uniquely Bob Hartley for sure. I think my favorite was from Chris Dingman, where he go, Chris, you've got I need you for forty five seconds. Don't try to score. Don't try to pass. Just put it in the corner and get the fuck out of there. That's it. Don't do anything That's else. Fun. Yeah, he was he was funny. He had some he had some funny lines for sure. My last question for you, you know, you're playing in Minnesota and this is such a staple in the area. What's the best dish at Tom Reed's hockey pub? Oh geez, I don't know. I, I didn't eat I didn't eat there much. What? I uh yeah, I, I I didn't eat there much. Well Andy man, you were great enough to come on. I, I gotta give you a form though. What are you up to now? Tell everyone what you're doing now. Well, I'm a I'm an entrepreneur through and through. I own a, a joint health and uh, information management company called Jomo Jomo Joint Mobility. Um, you can check it out at Jomo.com. I'm also the president of a company called Wholesale Sports Incorporated. We own we own five uh, hockey brands that we um, that we distribute through HockeyWest.com and um, HockeyTron.com. We own some that are uh, wholesale brands, and then we have some some retail brands as well. And we're about to bring bring the Tackler brand back to uh, to North America in the next month or so. So take a look for that. We've got the um, we've got the perpetual license for the Tackler trademark. So I'm I do some product development with uh, with this company and sales and um, you know a lot of the a lot of the back end stuff, former stuff. But it's um, it's a great company. We've got great brands and um, in both ice and roller and uh, spend the bulk of my time doing that and then uh, home with a home with my family i've got a young i got a two-year-old son and and an awesome wife and we like to travel around and you know camp and fish and do all that type of stuff so life is good can you give me the uh, websites again so that way if people want to go ahead and check out the tackler brand and all that stuff tackler will be back uh tackler will be back for sale uh i think starting in march and it's and they can people can find it at hockeytron.com uh, that's our retail site, and then uh, our our wholesale site is hockeywest.com. But people won't be able to buy from there unless they become a dealer. But um, hockeytron.com will be uh, where they can get it.
Well, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely not surprised to hear that Andy has become such a successful and experienced entrepreneur in the past few years since his playing days ended. Very, very cool that after a 15-year career in the National Hockey League, he was able to take his passion and take it to the next level and turn it to a business. Definitely check out his hockey brands. I am so excited they're bringing Tackler back. I just think that's so cool. It's HockeyTron.com. That's HockeyTron.com. And it also doesn't surprise me that he has his hands in a few other things. He seems like the type a guy that, well, he even said it himself. He, he always wanted more. And it's that fire in his belly that probably keeps him going. I doubt he needs the money. He might. I don't know. But just a great guy. Thanks again to him for coming on the show. And I really, really enjoyed chatting with him and hope you all enjoyed listening to the interview. On that note, we'll be back on Monday with another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday at 8 a.m.